Let us open the Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, where the disciple whom Jesus loved opened up his 21 chapters describing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. What does the Gospel of John really mean to you? In the beginning was the Word. What do these words mean to you? Is this sermon an intellectual exercise? A doctrinal debate? An attempt to exhaust another part of Scripture? Pulpit filler? Another act in playing church? An attempt to impress anyone? An attempt to publish anything? A routine ritual of preaching? A mere weekly performance? A religious act of business? A result of random generation? An audience pleaser? Busy work for a preacher? Out of the barrel for sermon content? What does the Gospel of John really mean to you? What is your life? While I was away from you, my outside reading was about the Battle of Stalingrad. Because my dear brother and friend Newell several months ago had got me a recent work about that battle. I've read about World War II since I was a single-digit child. There were a few thousand casualties on D-Day. It was a non-event. There were two million casualties at Stalingrad. Two million. Adolf Hitler promoted Friedrich von Paulsen to field marshal when he asked for permission to surrender his army to save their lives. He was promoted to field marshal so that he would commit suicide. When he didn't commit suicide, Adolf Hitler's statements included these words, What is life? Life is the nation. The individual must die anyway. That's nationalism. It stinks. And American nationalism isn't any better than German nationalism, isn't any better than Japanese nationalism. Because that isn't life. Men died for Hitler. Men died for Hirohito. Men died for Stalin. Men died for Churchill. But we live for Jesus Christ. Amen. What is your life? Dying in some of these hopeless causes for the Third Reich? What a hopeless waste of a life. But your family is no better. Living a life for family equals living a life for nation equals hopeless waste of a life. Your profession is no better. Your children are no better. 
Children that do not love and live for Christ are not worth having or keeping. Your yard is no better. Your business is no better. Peace is nothing. Pleasure's the weakest of all. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. On the front of this pulpit, and on my parents' grave marker, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I recently had a chat with my mother there. Whether she heard me or not doesn't matter to me. I know how she lived her life. Men do anything for their bosses, their commanders, their field marshals. Jesus Christ demands total devotion of our lives, of discipleship by His standards, not ours. He calls for hatred of all competitors, including the dearest relationships of earth and your own life. Are you giving Him what He calls for? Men gave everything for a hopeless cause that they did not in the least understand. They suffered in ways that you can't even comprehend. It is hard to find a battle where the suffering was greater than the one that I mentioned to you. Although the siege of Jerusalem is described by the Lord Jesus Christ as the greatest tribulation that would ever take place. But those were people caught up in a situation. I'm referring to soldiers that chose to follow leadership into great pain. Jesus calls for hatred of all competitors. We're to hate even our own lives, our wives, our parents, our children, our houses, our lands for His sake. Those minding earthly things, as I mentioned to you already this morning from Philippians 3, are belly worshipers. What is the importance of this gospel to you? What is it to me? This is the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel was written to convince, confirm men in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. When it says in the beginning was the Word, it takes us back to eternity and shows us the divine nature of our Lord Jesus. It was written for you to believe on Him. God sent Jesus Christ. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God exalted Jesus Christ to His own right hand. He is fairer than the children of men. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Creator of all things. He is God's Son. He is David's Lord. He rules the universe. He's the blessed and only potentate. If you do not believe on Him, God's way, God's wrath abides on you right now. 
If you do not love him supremely, you are anathema, maranatha. When Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? When Isaiah met him in Isaiah 6, he answered and said, Here am I, send me. The greatest man born of a woman had the singular mission to announce Jesus Christ to the earth. Men follow lunatics and leaders of all kinds, but nothing compares to Jesus Christ. Those who confuse or contradict His person or His doctrine are Antichrist enemies. To be treated accordingly, not even allowed at Godspeed, from us. The apostle John loved him and laid on his bosom at supper. What about you? Mary sat at his feet to hear anything that he said while Martha was cumbered about with the cares, the foolish cares, the vain cares of life. His mother, Mary, considered Everything he said in her heart. Men killed him. Men killed his followers. It's a life or death cause. Martyrs, an unknown number of martyrs, gave their lives to obey and honor Jesus Christ. The remnant woman, which is a picture of the church in Revelation chapter 12, keeps God's commands and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures. Search the whole book, not just the Gospel of John, but all 66 books. And Jesus said, they are they which testify of me. The whole Bible is given to us to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know that God has eternal power and a Godhead by observing the natural creation. You can learn that God is good by observing His providence in your life. And the fruitful seasons that fill our hearts with food and gladness. You can know that God has a law. Because it is written in your conscience. About things that are right and things that are wrong. But you cannot know about Jesus Christ. Without the Bible. And without the Gospel of John. And without a Baptist preacher. Whose name was John. Your checkbook and all dates, when you write them or type them, acknowledge His transcendent role in our world. It is the year 2016 of our Lord. Doctrinal details are crucial based on the apostles' care and strictness that they showed. The woman of Samaria perceived Him to be a prophet. Because he told her all things that ever she had done. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. He came into this world by a virgin birth. He raised the dead. He rose from the dead himself. He is the Savior of the elect. He is the destroyer of death. He's the liberator of graves. His preeminent religion 
annihilates all others in every aspect of it. You will give a full account to Him of your life. And if it's not done unto Him, for Him, with thanksgiving to God, you will be held accountable for it. Devils dread His coming punishment and torment. (coughs) Devils worshipped Him on their faces at His feet. Angels worship and serve Him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of all things. You know no king, but no king can come close to Him. He is King of Kings. He demands total devotion. I've said it once, I say it again, by His standard of discipleship and not anyone else's. Why were you baptized? It is far more than a child's ordinance. Why do we take communion? It is far more than a dead ritual of a historical event. Paul determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul gloried in only one thing, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. A loss of your first love for Him gets severe judgment and ruins churches by the candlestick being removed. Lukewarm treatment of Him is worse than cold carnality. And He will spew you out. He destroyed God's favorite city and church and the capital of the Jews for missing the time of His visitation. He's visiting us with the Gospel of John. He will say to those that do not live all out for Him in adoring obedience, Depart from me. I never knew you. What does the Gospel of John mean to you? This is what it means to me and why I'm preaching it to you. If there are select verses that I want you to remember, they are the first 18. The first 18 is a preamble or a prologue to the book. The first 18 verses of the first chapter of John outline what the rest of the book has in it. It is actually quite interesting to just study the first 18 verses. I don't care how slow I go through the first 18 verses. When I hit verse 19, the pace will dramatically change. There will be chapters that we will cover in a sermon or two, but not the first 18 verses. They are filled with matter, and they outline the book for us. Let me read them to you. In the beginning was the Word. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for you to believe on Him, to embrace Him, to love Him, to live for Him, to serve Him. It starts in eternity. It introduces a Baptist preacher. It talks about His incarnation. He declared God to us. He's full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It's all tied up here in just 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Amen. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It amazes me that men will go into battle and die for other men, for a hopeless cause, with unbelievable pain and suffering, voluntarily doing it, never committing mutiny against orders. Unbelievable. I hope I haven't read anything in 40 years without bringing it back to a faith-based worldview of Almighty God, which is how everything affects me. Whether it's my mother's grave or my mother-in-law's death a year ago, or the battle of Stalingrad. It should come back to the Lord is King. And He deserves our best. How could so many men give themselves for men like Hitler and Stalin? And we find it hard to give ourselves for the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that sick? It should condemn us. It condemns me. What can I do for the Lord? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Saul of Tarsus said. Look at these these 18 verses just very quickly. You know, if we wanted to, we could take almost each verse, almost each clause, and show you that that clause can be extended out into the rest of the book to show that in the first 18 verses is a preamble or prologue which is a paragraph summarizing what's to come. It's it's really pretty neat. If you want to learn a section of Scripture and really know it well, learn these 18 verses. What great 18 verses to memorize. Verses 1 through 3 introduce the deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So He is the Creator, Eternal Trinity of God. Part of the Trinity. The Lord Jesus Christ. The whole book 
is written for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might know that you have eternal life. That's why it's given to us. We are told about a man that walked on this planet 2,000 years ago, whom we have not seen with our eyes, who is not revealed by creation, not revealed by providence, not revealed by conscience, but revealed right here and by a Baptist preacher. And so we want to embrace these words. These words tell us about the greatest personage in history. Outside of the person of God Himself, it's the Lord Jesus. First of all, His deity, verses 1 through 3. You can go through the rest of the book. In John 8, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. You can go to John 10. My Father and I are one. You can go to John 14. If Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. On and on it goes, the deity of Christ, from these first three verses. Verses 4 and 5. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. In those verses are shown a difference made among men by God giving life to some, which brings them light that others don't have. It, ta- it talks about total depravity. It shows us the priority of life to light. It shows us the priority of regeneration to faith. All contained in germ form in verses 4 and 5 that we read about in the rest of the Gospel. Verses 6 through 8 introduce John the Baptist. But if you're familiar with John, in chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, and running down through verse 37, is a whole section about John the Baptist. You go to chapter 3, and you have from verse 23 through 36, a section about John the Baptist. And in other places, Jesus is going to talk about John the Baptist, but here... In the first 18 verses, we only have John mentioned in verses 6 through 8. But he is mentioned. Then verses 9 through 13 are about division in him. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. That is a horrible indictment of our world and of our race. That the Creator was here. He was in the world. The Creator was here. He was in the world. And the world was made by Him. And the world knew Him not. Who do they want to get to know? Michael Jackson? Who do they want to get to know? What an indictment. Let's never let that be true of us. He was in the world. The world was made by Him. And let us know Him, love Him, and learn everything that we can about Him. Right. This division goes through the rest of the book. There was a division among the people because of him. Over and over it is stated. Verses 14 through 18 introduce the incarnate Son. Verse 14, the opening words, the Word was made flesh. Verse 18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus declares God to us. Jesus shows God to us. No man has, does, or ever will see God, but we will see the Lord Jesus Christ. This expression about His incarnation, the only begotten Son of God, isn't used anywhere else in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ, except by this man, John, and this gospel that he wrote to us. Verses 15 through 17 tell us that 
Jesus is full of grace and truth. Do you know how much we need grace? Do you know how much truth there is in, the, in his religion? It's all from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told the woman of Samaria that God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Right. Truth for true worship. True worshipers are those that God is looking for, found in the Lord Jesus Christ in this gospel. We're going to learn it all. And it's, it's wrapped up in these first 18 verses. I encourage you to learn those first 18 verses. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. In six verses, the first six verses of John chapter 1, the Apostle John takes us from eternity past to a Baptist preacher. What a rapid development of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge of Jesus requires Scripture and a man. And so along comes a man to take the Word of God and to explain it that this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah of Israel. This is the Son of David. This is the Son of God. The first Baptist preacher. Baptists should always be the ones that love the Lord Jesus Christ the most. They're the only ones that are humble enough to be baptized in a picture of His burial and His resurrection. It was the first Baptist preacher. I didn't say the pastor of the first Baptist church. I said the first Baptist preacher that preached the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you ever be ashamed of being a Baptist. We are despised and are the off-scouring of the world. But our name was given to us and our first preacher by the Holy Spirit. And by all men. His friends, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, and His enemies called Him the Baptist because He baptized a certain way. More on that in a moment. 4,000 years of world history summarized in just a few verses to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the whole purpose is for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to live a life consistent with that for the assurance of your soul that you have eternal life. And so he starts out, in the beginning was the Word, because Matthew presents Jesus as the son of as seed of Abraham and son of Abraham, son of David, as king. Mark presents him as servant. Luke presents him as the son of man, the son of Adam. John presents him as the son of God and God in the flesh. And so there's a difference in the Gospels. And we, by God's leading, we are here at the Gospel of John where Jesus is presented as God in the flesh and the son of God. There was a man sent from God. This is no ordinary Baptist preacher. This is the greatest man born of women, as Jesus would say about him. I appreciate Matthew's prayer. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what we want this church to be. Us being decreased and Jesus being increased. So that he gets all the preeminence here. Any real study of the life of Jesus of Nazareth must include John the Baptist. The gospel dispensation began with this Baptist. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. What does the gospel of John mean to you? It should mean a great deal to you. Lord, help us. 
Mark. From the first verse of the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When did it get started? When did the Gospel of Jesus Christ get started and how did it get started? As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached. He's a preacher saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And so forth. It goes on. This is the beginning of the gospel. John said in John chapter 1, which I've already read to you, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Those are two very different dispensations. It is the law of Moses and the grace of God. The grace of the gospel of God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets, that means the Old Testament, were until... John, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. It wasn't a kingdom to come, it was a kingdom present that men were pressing into. And that kingdom was owning Jesus of Nazareth as the son of David, as their king of a spiritual kingdom that didn't come with observation because it is spiritual in nature. And men were pressing into it by repentance and baptism at the hands of John first and his disciples and then the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 40 so that we can see some prophecies about John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Isaiah 40. Comfort ye, verse 1 tells us, Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And we beheld His glory. That is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only begotten of the Father. This is a prophecy of John the Baptist. Fulfilled by Him. Claimed by Him. As His job description. Look at Malachi chapter 3 at the end of your Old Testaments. Malachi chapter 3. 
What does the gospel of John mean to you? It means the record of the Lord Jesus Christ from eternity to his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Let's embrace it. We cannot know of Jesus Christ without scripture and a preacher. And this preacher is going to present Jesus Christ to us. Malachi 3.1 Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming? This is the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but before he came, John the Baptist came as the messenger to prepare the way before him. Then chapter 4, which you were to read last evening. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And what a way to end the Old Testament. Three quarters of your Bible end with the word curse. And then the Gospel of Matthew takes up with the generation of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. What a difference between the curse of the law of Moses and the blessing of grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. But this Elijah the prophet in Malachi 4-5 is only, always, John the Baptist. It's one of the small pills of evangelism for you to share with others who do not know their Bibles very well. To show them that in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus said very plainly, this is Elijah who was to come, speaking of John the Baptist. And if you have ears to hear, hear it. It's terrible that there's so much confusion about this simple prophecy. When we look at this short, simple chapter of Malachi 4, there are three great prophecies made. The prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the coming of John the Baptist before the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of Righteousness in verse 2. John the Baptist is Elijah the prophet in verse 5. The destruction of Jerusalem is in verse 1, and it's the great and terrible day of the Lord in verse 5. It's described in verse 3 as the wicked being ashes under the feet of the righteous, which occurred in 70 A.D. John the Baptist burst on the scene 400 years after this. There is a 400-year gap between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, look at how this Elijah the prophet burst on the scene just a couple chapters later. Matthew 3 and verse 7. John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. 
Remember, Israel was going to be turned into stubble. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. How is it turned into stubble? By everything being chopped down. And now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord about Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, and the destruction of Jerusalem. And here is John taking up that message and warning those scornful Pharisees who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And it did come upon them. John the Baptist was prophesied. Isaiah 40, Malachi 3, Malachi 4. And his birth was attended with miracles. If you read Luke chapter 1 last night, Zacharias didn't want to believe Gabriel quite fast enough. And when God sends you a message, you should believe it right now. How shall I know this? I'm such an old man and my wife is so old. How in the world are we going to have a baby boy? Gabriel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And because you didn't believe me, you're going to be dumb until that baby is born. And he was. He had to take a writing tablet around with him to be able to write things to people because he couldn't speak. When he came out, you can imagine the people were waiting for him because he took longer than usual to light the incense. He comes out and he's... You know, when he had to write... And when the baby was born, both mother and father were of the tribe of Levi and were both descendants of Aaron. That's about as priestly as you can get when your father and your mother can be traced back to Aaron. And here comes this man forth that is going to turn many in Israel to God and he's going to have the spirit and power of Elijah. And it tells us there at the end of Luke chapter 1, the child grew in spirit. Now how would you like to have that in your house? A little Elijah running around, but he would have been obedient because he was full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And he grew in spirit and was in the wilderness. Not when he was 30 and he began preaching. He was in the wilderness growing up until he was revealed to Israel. And he began preaching and baptizing. John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God. What a man! The Bible wants us to know about this man. All the Gospels tell us about this man. We want to know about him because he was the one to fulfill prophecy to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. Elizabeth was a barren woman, but she wasn't barren after Gabriel and God got a hold of her. And though stricken in years, she had a son when she was old. He leaped in his mother's womb for joy in the presence of Mary, the mother of his Lord. Isn't that wonderful? When you read that in Luke, he was full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He was moved by the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. And Elizabeth was full of the Holy Ghost when Mary saluted her. This is the power of God in this world bringing about John the Baptist and his cousin, Jesus, 
They would have been cousins because Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And Elizabeth conceived John six months before Mary conceived Jesus. John was the prophesied, Elijah the prophet. Don't let anyone ever confuse you about that. Of course, I would love to just take time and pound that to bits, but hopefully we've done that before. Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 17, Jesus said unequivocally that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Elijah the prophet. These futurists that are still around today, the Hal Lindsey crowd, the left-behind groupies, they still think that Elijah the prophet has to come. They think that there's two witnesses that have to come. They just pick Enoch and Elijah out of the thin blue air. There's no Bible basis for them whatsoever. Enoch and Elijah. But Elijah has already come, Jesus said. And they did to him whatsoever they listed, Jesus said. Now, turn back to John chapter 1 where we left. And let's see that John was once asked, Art thou Elijah? And he had an interesting answer, and I like John's answer. John chapter 1, verse 19 tells us that the Jews came to ask John by what authority he did these things, and was he the Christ? Verse 21, they asked him, If you're not the Christ, what are you then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I'm not Elias exactly, but I am the fulfillment of the prophecy of Elias from the prophet Malachi chapter 4. Did he say that? He didn't say any of that. He just said, I am not. Art thou Elias? I am not. Was he Elias? Yes. Was he Elias? No. He was not literally Elias. Elijah, come back. But he was the prophesied Elijah. The Jews didn't understand the prophecy because they were looking for Elijah the prophet when it was a prophecy, which means it was a similitude, it was sign language, it was a word picture, it was a sign, it wasn't literal Elijah coming back. It was John the Baptist, as Luke one seventeen tells us specifically, in the spirit and power of Elijah. So what does he say? Does he help them out in their error? They didn't want the truth. He didn't give them the truth. He said, I am not. Which left them as confused as they ever were, and that's where they deserved to be when they died. They didn't want to know the truth. If he would have said, if he would have explained to them carefully that I am the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, and Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, if, I said, if he would have, He did. And they didn't believe him. So they, listen brethren, if you don't believe and practice what you are taught from the Bible, from God, he will blind you. In God's scheme of things, in God's economy, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. If you understand truth and you believe something that God reveals to you and you act upon it, God will give you more truth. If you balk at that and do not do what God says, God will take away from you the truth that you think you have and leave you helpless. That is the rule of His religion. We always want to humble ourselves before God's Word and believe it and obey it. 
He followed the Nazarites by not drinking wine or eating bread. By not drinking wine and strong drink is the Nazarite vow. He was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. His ministry and purpose was to make Jesus manifest to Israel. You're at John 1. Look at verse 31. John the Baptist said, I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. He should be made manifest to Israel is the purpose of his ministry. He turned many to God. Luke chapter 1 tells us, but he did not stop God's curse upon Israel because that curse came in the destruction of the nation because the revival was not great enough to turn away God's wrath from Israel. So the great day of the Lord did come 40 years later in the destruction of that nation. There was a man sent from God. A God-sent man in ministry may be very different than ministers sent by men. This man wore camel hair. And it wasn't a camel hair sport coat. He was a wild man. He wore a coat or cloak of camel hair with a leather girdle tight around his waist. A long-haired Nazarite. For lunch, he reached into his pocket and pulled out locusts and ate them with wild honey. A wild man. The greatest man born of women. The greatest Baptist preacher. In Jesus' terminology. He didn't look very much like Joel or Victoria Osteen. I still can't tell which is the most manly of those two. Though I try. He rejected the ordinary fare or menu of Jews, bread and wine. Very different from the Lord Jesus. He was abrupt, bold, forceful, like Elijah the prophet. He demanded repentance of hearers with practical warnings of what God was going to do to them if they didn't obey. He was beheaded by a wicked woman and her daughter. Jesus highly praised John the Baptist before he was beheaded. He's an example for Baptist preachers. You say, well, why aren't you wearing your camel hair jacket this morning? Because I'll make up for it in the way I deliver the message. We want to respect what the Bible says. When a man is sent from God, it might not be the picture that you get by these polished ministers of the world. Why would you want a minister that looks like Billy Graham, talks like Billy Graham, and acts like Billy Graham? Why would you want a minister that looks like Joel Osteen, grins like Joel Osteen, and tells jokes like Joel Osteen? Give me John the Baptist, who bluntly, boldly, abruptly, concisely, fearlessly lays the truth out and commends it to every man's conscience in the sight of God, just like Paul preached. The Bible says that Paul was rude in speech. He could have been as eloquent as he needed to be or wanted to be. But he chose not to be. And so we want to be thankful for this God-sent man named John. Let it be declared with authority that God only sends men for the ministry. I'm not going to take the time to reprove that to you. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 condemn women preachers. And it's so confusing for people today. They think that something has changed. 
No, it hasn't changed. It doesn't matter if a woman has ability to speak publicly. She is to be out of that pulpit and not to be speaking, preaching, or teaching, or exercising authority over men. Because the Bible says so. Without being sent by God, a man doesn't have a legitimate rightful ministry. No man has a right to take an office of God to himself without God calling him and putting him in that office. How does God put a man in the office? He uses other men to show those other men that a man has a gift. The ability to do the work is the best evidence of a man that has a rightful ministry from God. Desire has nothing to do with it. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. A bishop then must be, and it lists a whole list of qualifications. Every man should have some basis of desire to be a bishop because it's the best work on earth in God's opinion and statement there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. How do we know the calling of God? But it's upon a man because he's able to do it. He fulfills the qualifications. And he's able to do them. This man was sent from God. And his purpose was to announce Jesus as the Messiah to Israel. And the Lord God gave him his name. The man sent from God to announce the Word made flesh was John the Baptist. God gave him his name. His first name was John. When the family saw that Elizabeth had born a son in her old age, they wanted to name him Zacharias after his father. We're told that in Luke. But God gave him the name John. And Elizabeth so no, not Zacharias. If you read Luke chapter 1 last night, Elizabeth was intent that his name would be John. And they asked his father, And he took a writing tablet and said his name is John. And at that moment, he got his speech back. His name was John. It's a name used in the New Testament for John Mark, for a relative of Annas the high priest. It is a contraction of the Old Testament name Jehohanan, which is contracted to Johanan. In the Greek, Joannes. John, from Johannes, from Jehohanan. Do you know what that means? Jehovah hath been gracious. Perfect. 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 The one full of grace and truth announced by John because Jehovah hath been gracious. He was not just John, he was John the Baptist. Or, and sometimes when you read things that come from my keyboard, you might think that I forgot the word the. No, I didn't. Sometimes I just like calling him what the Bible calls him, John Baptist. He was not just John, he was John the Baptist. Now where does this word Baptist come from? It is a transliteration of a Greek word. It is not translated. If it was translated, it would be John the Dipper, John the Immerser, or John the Submerger. It would be. It's not translated. It's transliterated, which means you take a word from another language and just kind of shove it over into the new language without translating it. So it's the Greek word baptizo 
coming into English and just left. Baptist. That's where it came from. We're Baptists. And it comes from the Greek word baptizo. And what does baptizo mean? To dip, plunge, bury, immerse, or submerge. If it was translated, it would be John the Dipper. John the Immerser. John the Submerger. Any definition of the word baptizo or Baptist different from this is willful ignorance of the Bible or the Greek language. And Presbyterians and others love to do it. They have made grandiose statements that are unbelievable to read. Because of their infatuation with their doctrine of baptism they got from their mother church, Rome, out out of Roman Catholicism. Proof number one. How did John baptize? When we look at John the Baptist, how did John baptize? Did he baptize at Jordan? No. Did he baptize in Jordan? Yes. Now what is he doing in a river? When all he needs is to spit on your forehead and smear it around with his thumb. That's a Presbyterian baptism. Why does it tell us that they went down into the water? Why does it tell us that straightway when Jesus was baptized, He came straightway up out of the water? Because they were in that river. Why does it tell it? Uh, where are you? I hope that you're close to John chapter 3. Look at verse 23. You know, we're going to get to these verses, but we don't have to spend forever on them. We want to know that there was in the history of this world, the man Christ Jesus came. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning as God. He was God. And John came to announce him, the first Baptist preacher. Baptists should love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anyone else. Because the first Baptist preacher announced him to Israel. John 3 and verse 23. John, this is John the Baptist, also was baptizing in Anan near to Salem. Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Why couldn't he take a bottle of that water to them? Why did they have to come to him? Why couldn't he take a bottle of water from there to them? Like Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Methodists, and Roman Catholics, and Mennonites. Mennonites want to call themselves Anabaptists. They pour. They love to pour water. But John buried. So our proof number one is how did John baptize? In Jordan where there was much water, where he could get them underwater. Because proof number two is that the apostles immersed. When Philip baptized the eunuch, they stopped the chariot because the eunuch had said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Why didn't he point to his canteen? I want to ask you this question. Would any eunuch that had great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, enter into the desert in a chariot with horses pulling it without water. Not a chance. Why didn't he say, see, here's water. Shake it up pretty good. You know, blow the dirt off the top. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He saw an oasis and said, hey, Philip, See, there's water right here. There's enough for it to get me under. What doth hinder me to be baptized? 
They both, they stopped the chariot. They both went down into the water and they both came up out of the water. The apostles baptized by immersion because they had to bury you with Christ Jesus. You had to be planted with Christ Jesus in baptism. A planting is to put a seed under the ground. A true baptism is to put the body under the water. It's a figure. 1 Peter 3.21 tells it's a figure of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No wonder they can't handle 1 Corinthians 15.29 that speaks of baptism for the dead and the Mormons go off nuts thinking that you need to be baptized for all your dead relatives who didn't have a chance to get a Joseph Smith baptism. What does it mean in 1 Corinthians 15.29, baptism for the dead? Because baptism is a picture of death, burial, and most of all, resurrection. Only Baptists can understand that verse. I remember in 1984, when I was confronted by Mormons about that verse, and I went and looked up Matthew Henry, who was a Presbyterian. He gave ten explanations for what the verse might mean. He said, we don't know what it means. All we know is that the Corinthians understood it. And out of his ten reasons that he gave, not one of them was right, because he could not dare give the right interpretation of that verse, because he would have had to have convert and become a Baptist. I dare you to look it up. Check me out. Oh, I wish you would check me out when I say things like that. Because to check me out would be to convert your soul, enlighten your mind, and thrill you. To realize how ignorant men can be when they don't follow the first preacher. And he was a Baptist. Was Jesus a Baptist? How do we know Jesus was a Baptist? Because when you're baptized by a Baptist, what are you? <laughs> Jesus was a Baptist. Was Mary a Baptist? Amen. Hail Mary, Mother of God. Full of, oh, she was a Baptist. How do we know Mary was a Baptist? She was baptized by a Baptist. You say, how do we know that she was baptized by John? We don't need to know. Everybody that John baptized was a Baptist. Everybody that John baptized that also had the authority to baptize was a Baptist, so that she was a Baptist no matter who baptized her. Right. One of my favorite proofs that the word Baptist means to dip, immerse, or submerge. What church in the world do you think knows the Greek language best? Thank you, brother. The Greek Orthodox. The Greek Orthodox Church knows Greek best. Is that fair to say? Should we let some English-speaking seminarian tell us that they know what the Greek means? The Greek Orthodox Church. How do they baptize? They take the little baby and dip him three times underwater. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Go look it up on YouTube. Greek Orthodox baptism. You say, that's crazy. That's wild. I didn't know that anybody baptized babies by immersion. And then to do it three times, yes, because they know what the word baptizo means. Dip, submerge, plunge, bury, submerge. Thank you, Lord. Oh, it's fun to be a Baptist. And what a preacher we have. What a preacher. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Jehohanan. Jehovah hath been gracious. How was Jehovah gracious? Sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
whom John said was full of grace and truth, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. This is John the Baptist preaching. Oh, what a man he was. Don't ever be ashamed of being a Baptist. Baptists have been called Anabaptists by enemies for so-called rebaptizing, but we've never believed in rebaptism because any baptism of the Church of Rome or her daughters is not a baptism. You haven't yet been baptized. But they called us Anabaptists because we were rebaptizing those that had been baptized as Catholics, but Catholics don't even know what baptism is, and applying a little bit of water to your forehead is not a baptism. In the true sense of the word. The same came for witness. That's why John came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. Jesus was the light of the world. John came to bear witness of him that all men through him might believe. Jesus is not known by creation, providence, conscience. He's known by preaching the word of God. And that's what John came and did. John explained very carefully what his role was. He quoted prophecies about his role. He quoted prophecies about Jesus Christ. He identified Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God. This man that I baptized, I did not know him, except he that sent me to baptize told me that the one that you baptize, that the Holy Ghost comes down from heaven and abides on him, he is the Son of God. And John would just explain all these things, and do you know what? That was the extent of his ministry. Do you know how many prophecies he explained? Do you know how many doctrines he elucidated? He had one ministry. That is the Son of God. Repent. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's coming one after me that is mightier than I. I am not worthy to even bear his shoes. Did you see that in Mark chapter 1? I am not worthy to carry his shoes. I baptize you with water. Sure. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The Holy Ghost is Pentecost. Fire is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Gospel of John was written. This is why you should live today. Live today better than yesterday. And live today better than the day before yesterday. It's to live it for the Lord Jesus Christ. This Gospel was given to us. The whole Bible was given to us. From Genesis chapter 3.15 about the seed of the woman all the way to the end when we read, even so come quickly Lord Jesus. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love Him today? Have you believed on Him? Is your life totally governed by Him? He demands total devotion. Total discipleship. Hatred of all competitors. That is what our Savior demands. I'm His ambassador. I tell each of you to give Him everything He asks for. It is the most fulfilling way to live your life. It is the one that will stand you in the best stead when you stand before Him. And he says, I never knew you to most. Because he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Before Jesus came, he sent John the Baptist. And John the Baptist declared to all that came out to to hear him that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And we'll have more to learn about what John said in chapters 1 and chapters 3. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. No minister, no matter how much light they have on the Word of God, can be compared to the light that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the Lord Jesus Christ is the life 
that is the light of men. What does the gospel of John mean to you? What does the person of the gospel of John mean to you? Let's be the greatest Christ-loving Baptist the world's ever had. Right here in this church. Nowhere else, right here, that we love the Lord Jesus Christ as much as John did. He must increase, I must decrease. Amen. Amen.